You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This recording is a session at SEPCON 2004 put on by Honest Education, a project of the Alliance for the Separation of School and State. It's copyrighted by the Alliance, but you are welcome to make gift copies for your friends. They're grouped uh, with vouchers, and then the launch is attacked, uh, an attack is launched against vouchers. Really, tax credits in this case are a straw man, uh, in my opinion. Uh, I intend to clear up the misunderstanding, and then I want to urge the the organization to embrace scholarship tax credits as one means, and I emphasize one means, of helping to fund the mandate of getting the kids out of government-run schools. First, also let me say that when it comes to education, I'm both pro-parent and I'm pro-choice with education. I believe the purest expression of parental involvement in their children's education is homeschooling, of which my wife and I have done for the past eight years. I would love to see every parent experience the blessing and every child the benefit of parent-led home-based schooling. That being said, I have another desire, perhaps a more burning one, given the times which we live. I would love to see every parent, and especially single parents, having the financial means to move their children out of fi- failing schools today, uh, and, and these failing schools often unsafe and in most cases ungodly. I am well aware of the debate taking place in many circles, most notably within the Southern Baptist Convention and the summer's uh, proposed resolution of pulling kids out of government schools. I think the debate is good and necessary. I wish to enter the fray, though, not so much in choosing a side, uh, rather uh, inserting the opinion Uh, that there is a solution to the resolution. I firmly believe that by creating the means of an exodus, the mandate will help to take care of itself. In short order, will become a non-issue because the alternative to government schools, I believe, is extremely attractive to many parents and most single parents. It's just not tangible. The degree to which I'm successful in helping you arrive, specifically Marshall arrive, at a separation of tax credits from tax vouchers I believe will be the degree, will be the degree to which, to which this organization is effective and successful in helping to move low-income families uh, to a point of affording honest education. That's my, for the record. Sure, I've got the microphone. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know if I can go that long. Um, um, yeah, for, yeah, first of all, I got to get used to this is for the tape recording, and I've got to project my voice so that you can all hear me. So, hi, Tamara. Okay, good. First of all, I'm absolutely delighted that Randy Cutts is able to come. I didn't uh, work out the negotiations and didn't have a personal sense of the man, um, so I was fearful that he would be a um, weak uh, opponent. And I was going to have to wear big, big, big padded gloves. I am absolutely delighted with your opening remarks. Cogent, clever, powerfully delivered, well thought out. I salute you, sir, as someone who I am now entering the ring with, with a different level of, of feelings than I had anticipated. Okay? And that's a lot more fun. All right? So I'm glad you're here. Um, 
Secondly, uh, absolutely nifty um, and quite in keeping with my um, polemics uh, to re to complain about me referring to school funded uh, uh, tax funded um, excuse me scholarship tax credits um, as uh, vouchers and camouflage and uh, I believe that's going to be uh, an important part of today's discussion and while not a full uh, Queensbury Mark Marquis of King Queensbury rules uh, debate I think it will uh, certainly take on some of the essential flavor of a debate as we spar and hopefully a mutual search for the truth and uh, and all so uh, thirdly I want to find any honest way to smooth the transformation from school socialism to honest education and nothing would delight me more than finding uh, some sort of, of uh, uh, legal mechanism uh, that was honest and could be sold honestly uh, to do that. Uh, I've only come across one and everyone I've ever discussed it with, which is dozens, they end up saying, well that's all in well and good but it's not politically practical. And I said, well, politically practical was not one of my criteria, right? Um, you know. Yes, I will a little later, okay? I'll name it now. A non-refundable... Um, oh, I used to have a fancy name for it. Let me use my brain here for a second. I'll, I'll, I'll substitute something that may be non-use tax credit. Non-use. So a person who has the right to send a child to a government school, the legal right to send a child to a government school, could receive a tax credit uh, for not sending the child to a public school. And it would be non-refundable, that is, it would be limited to that percentage of their taxes that were going toward government schooling. Uh, because still, you know, some of the taxes go to fire protection and, and uh, welfare and libraries uh, and that sort of thing that many people consider necessary parts of, of society. So they wouldn't be ducking that. Um, I like your phrase, the separation of tax credits from tax vouchers. And I think that you are also a worthy uh, combatant with the mind of Joseph Bast, uh, the president of the Heartland Institute in Chicago, uh, because he is adamantly in favor of tax vouchers and uh, decries the grand mistake of the various tax credit schemes. So to see you two go at it and me sit back and uh, would be big fun. You arrange the meeting. If you arrange the meeting, I will show up. Fine. And 
I need to do what? Got it. Okay, if you can't hear me in the back of the table, I will speak up. Uh, my name is Marshall Fritz. I am president of the Alliance for the Separation of School and State um, in uh, Fresno, California, also known as honestedu.org. Um, and uh, the reason I was perhaps invited to this um, discussion table was that I have been um, outspoken, adamant, and uh, some say effective, and have gotten angry about it, about at me for it, uh, about uh, saying that the all three, the tax-funded school voucher, the various tax credit approaches that have been proposed and in some places uh, implemented, and uh, the charter schools, all three of those are a step away from honest education and toward um, further socialization or Mussoliniization of education in America. And for that reason, I have spoken out against them to uh, my friends who are conservatives and libertarians uh, to warn them and we now have uh, scores, um, at least three score, of uh, people who were voucher or tax credit advocates who have switched, and we call them FLABs, Freedom Lovers Against Vouchers. And at the moment, we're not aware of anyone who, once they've made that switch, away from continued socialism of the tuition function, we're unaware of anyone who has switched back in favor of socialism of the tuition function. So, um, and I uh, again appreciate Randy um, for uh, for uh, joining us, and uh, uh, we don't have we have not chosen to make a specific. He says three minutes, I say four minutes, he says five minutes, I say three minutes kind of thing and all. So we're trying to handle this on more of a sit-down, friendly, casual, uh, intense conversation. Um, I'm certain that, that, that boos and hisses, why don't we go to Oxford Rules uh, and allow you guys, uh, the entire audience here, to uh, cheer at any point if you want, uh, or to stamp your foot and hiss and boo uh, using uh, Oxford rules in a small room. Uh, yes, you can, and I think and I think it might be appropriate to allow the speakers to make their initial points first, and and to write your questions down as questions. You can have questions of clarification and questions of argumentation. If your question is a question of clarification, you simply do not understand a word. You, could, you can interrupt and say, could you please define your terms? And I think that's a very appropriate, immediate uh, question to ask. If it's a question of dissent um, and all, I would ask you to write them down. Uh, as we finish our opening remarks, 
and one comeback each. Uh, then we'll pass the microphone around and allow each person one minute to express as many questions as we'd like. We'll inventory all the questions so we know what we're dealing with and everybody gets a chance to get them on the table and then the speakers will go back and forth and address the questions. Everybody comfortable with that format? Does that seem like a reasonable format? Tam Tamara? Tamara, thank you. So, um, Randy, would you like to make a uh, uh, give us some details on the distinction you see uh, or why you would be at all concerned about my statement, um, vouchers in camouflage. Well, thank you, Marshall. Um, well, there are some very kind words that uh, Marshall uh, levied my way, and I do feel very much like this is a David and Goliath moment. And uh, well, if you consider the stature of both gentlemen sitting at the table, I, I, I would I would liken I would like to liken my opponent to Goliath and myself to David, uh, and and also to remind him that I have five smooth stones in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my comments in this effort to separate tax credits from tax vouchers, I'd like to use the four statements that uh, Marshall has written up on his website. Vouchers will harm education in four ways, and then there are four distinct statements that he makes. I will use those four to to demonstrate how tax credits do not do that. Uh, again, I indicated at the uh, earlier comments that, that I believe that he has set tax credits up as a straw man. Equal time. Yes, yeah, so this one. Sure, sure. I have about five minutes worth of comments, so. Okay. The four statements, I'll just read them and then deal with each individually. Uh, one, vouchers come with strings attached. These soon become chains. Uh, two, vouchers expand dependency to self-reliant families now paying for private schooling. The new recipients of other people's money will be weakened like all welfare recipients. Three, vouchers blindfold the private school admissions office, resulting in increasing the number of troublemakers to unmanageable proportions. Four, vouchers prevent cost breakthroughs. Who is going to invent a high-quality $2,000 a year school if the voucher is $4,000? Now again, the reason we're dealing with vouchers when this is a tax credit uh, debate is because not I, but, but, but uh, Marshall and this organization has grouped them together, calling tax credits as vouchers and camouflage, and, and then uh, have really not, in my opinion, not dealt with tax credits, uh, giving them a fair day in court, at least not what I've seen written so far. So to highlight these four points concerning vouchers and the distinction of credits, uh, I think will help to uh, clear, clear up the misconceptions that I believe are there and, and hopefully move the ball down the field a little 
uh, in embracing this as a step toward honest education. First of all, concerning the, the government strings attached, tax credits essentially have no strings attached. And the reason is the flow of money is from private individuals who are making charitable contributions to nonprofit education investment organizations. There is a clear wall between the student and the state. And the wall happens to be the individual donor. Scholarships come from nonprofit organizations to the students, not from the state to the student like vouchers. That's where I believe there is a clear wall of separation. I believe that they are a fundamental different animal than vouchers on that point. Number two, vouchers expand dependency to self-reliant families now paying for private schooling. The idea that new recipients of, of OPM, other people's money, will be weakened like all welfare recipients. I would just say that tax credits are not issued, first of all, they're not issued in full payment of tuition, keeping in mind the first point that they're coming from an education uh, investment organization, a, a scholarship granting organization. They do not come in full payment. They're not guaranteed. They're issued as grants or scholarships which must be applied for, they must be competed for, qualified for, and are rarely 100%. They're not entitlements. They don't get them just because they're going to a private school. Also, they must be reapplied for each year. It is not an entitlement. Besides, I would also add that the idea of other people's money, using other people's money, is not an evil concept. Uh, we do it all the time. This organization does it, relies upon generous gifts of donors who then take tax write-offs. This is a 501c3 organization. Uh, so the idea of other people's money is not evil. It does not inevitably lead to dependency, uh, especially because in this case they're charitable funds that are coming from an organization, not from the state. And I also remind you that we will always have the poor with us, as Christ said himself. And the idea that, that there will be 100% independence by any individual family, there will never be a need where someone will have to rely upon charitable gifts and generosity and philanthropic measures by other people uh, is, is really unachievable. Number three, vouchers blindfold the private school admissions offices, resulting in increasing the number of troublemakers to unmanageable proportions. Tax credits do not blindfold admissions offices because they don't have a role in deciding whether a child goes to that school or not. There's no obligation on the part of the school to take money. There's no obligation on the part of the student to take money. In fact, the student in a tax credit situation must already be enrolled. School admissions standards apply. Uh, the school, student has to be enrolled before scholarships can be awarded to the student. They don't, uh, like unlike vouchers, they don't uh, weigh in in determining who goes to that school. The fourth point, vouchers prevent cost breakthroughs. Who is going to invent a high-quality $2,000 a year school if the voucher is $4,000 a year? Tax credits are, are not an equivalent uh, to government per pupil expenditures like vouchers and those proponents of vouchers uh, put forth. 
uh, they're infrequently, uh, there's frequently less than the current tuition uh, level of funding. Uh, the average price of a private school in Arizona is about $3,500. The average price of a per pupil expenditure about right now is about $5,700 on the state government schools. The average scholarship donation uh, that a student receives is about $1,500. So there's very much still a parent role, parent responsibility in providing funding for the child. Uh, it is not a 100% uh, free ride. And, um, okay, uh, we may go over a minute, if, if, if I may, just to finish up um, and then give that balance uh, equal time also. There's a couple other statements that are made concerning the tax credit, treating it as wealth transfer. And I would just say that there's nothing compulsory here. The donor is not under any kind of level of obligation to give money. The student is not under any level of obligation to apply for money. The scholarship granting organization is not under any level of obligation to give money. And finally, I, I, need, to, I need to point out that um, there's a statement that's made concerning the Arizona plan, calling it money laundering. Last year, 54,000 Arizonans contributed nearly $30 million to 501c3 nonprofit organizations that qualified for IRS code standard federal tax deductions. I don't know how that can be called and treated as money laundering. In the state of Arizona, they also happen to have state tax law that permits them to take a dollar for dollar credit against their gift. Uh, I would be just wanted to caution the use of uh, such language in describing a program that now currently scholarships 24,000 students to have an alternative to government-run schools. And I'll just close with this one statement. I believe that there's a misnomer. First of all, scholarship tax credits are not vouchers. But second of all, I think scholarship tax credit really, the tax credit defines the relationship between the donor and the education investment organization. It's the donor who receives the tax credit. It does not describe the relationship between the student and the organization. It does not define a relationship between the student and the state. Tax credits are merely tax deductions and an additional credit from the state that concerns only the tax-paying donor who makes charitable contributions. And I'll just end with that. Well, folks, I think Randy deserves a round of applause. He is the first adversary to have taken the time to have read what we've said. First adversary to have taken the time you have read what we said seriously and analyzed it thoughtfully. And for this, I say, bravo, thank you. Okay? I am tired of battling uh, red herrings and straw men and uh, playing intellectual patty cake with some of them.
very bright people and friends, all right? And that are reduced to etiquette. So first I honor you there. Um, secondly, like to put my my um, response in two categories. Uh, one I'll call time, and the other one I'll call euphemism. Um, a horse, we've all heard the story that horses will not leave or are very difficult to extract from a burning barn. All heard that analogy? They return to their stalls and they refuse to leave their stalls when the barn is burning. Now why is that? Well the horse to the degree he's thinking is saying, uh, well there's no fire in my stall. You know, the horse in the stall next to me is burning but there's no fire in my stall. Um, nor do I have any experience that fire will come to my stall. I'm a little excited because there's so many other horses that are neighing and dying, so I'm certainly sounding an alarm. There must be something wrong. But fires, in my experience, are, you know, little campfires that the men have. And he doesn't have the intellectual capacity to project across time and to understand the nature of fire that in 30 or 60 seconds, he's going to be on fire too. It's a time thing. And in his ability, an un inability to abstract through time, the future, something that is near certain. Okay? The second concern that I have will be under the concerns, will be under the category of euphemism. And the singer Bobby Gentry told me once, euphemism is a euphemism for lying. And in fact, sometimes we can use euphemism so much that we begin to think it's reality. And I was told once by an advisor that if a person will not speak in clear terms, will only use metaphor and euphemism, but you, they refuse to go to clear terms, it is a person who may be deceiving himself, be self-deceived, or it may be a person, but for sure it is a person who is deceiving, trying to deceive you, either deliberately or inadvertently. So I'm going to try to get us away from euphemism and into direct speech and ask you to go to direct speech. Okay? Actually, I thought that's what I was doing, but, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Now, because of time, I'm not going to address all four issues, and, and in fact, I may even be willing to concede, at least for the time being, that the blindfolding of the emissions office is, um, is uh, uh, not as much a concern and may not be a concern at all with the scholarship tax credit. So I'll temporarily stipulate that, and when we re-meet, 
uh, for a 90-minute knockdown drag out. Uh, you know, I may reserve the right to come back on that one. Um, the uh, flow from the individual uh, is uh, to, is a charitable flow to a scholarship organization. Is that what you said? Okay. And a little later you said um, uh, that the uh, other people's money is not evil per se. I further want to stipulate I fully agree with you. I have uh, said I hope for 25 billion a year in voluntary, voluntary charity. Voluntary charity to uh, provide scholarships to a third of the population, 15 million children. So growing from the 24,000 that are now getting partial assistance to 15 million that are getting partial um, assistance. And that's something like, oh, I don't know exactly, but 300 times as many as what you've got, or something on that order of magnitude. So I fully agree. It's only when money is coerced from a person, when in the final analysis, uh, force, uh, force of arms, uh, threats of imprisonment, um, uh, threats of uh, shooting if one refuses to be arrested and be imprisoned, you know, shooting, of course, for resisting arrest, not for failure to pay taxes, uh, right? They never want to say they shot somebody because he didn't pay $500 in taxes. They, they will say they shot him because he was refusing to come out of his house and go to a, to a, uh, a cage, right? So we all know we can't allow people to do that, so we, we forget why they were there and wanting to put him in a cage in the first place. Now, the word charity, or charitable, comes from the Latin word caritas. Caritas, to love. If someone puts a gun to my head and says, um, give me $500, um, I find it difficult to consider that charity. Uh, I would say that's coerced money. If I, uh, did you ask for a minute extension? Yes. yes. I'm going to ask for one too. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, well, then I'm going to ask for a, a minute beyond that. <laughs> and I may only be able to rest on this one point, okay? And leave the other for later. <laughs> if a robber came to me and he had with him his 10 year old son and said, put a gun to me and said, give, give me $500 or give it to my son. And I chose to give it to the son, cute little kid, okay? And the robber left. When I got to the office, do you think I would say I made a charitable contribution uh, to a, uh, a, a man and a boy, to a boy who, you know, was given information, was homeless, and they needed the money for, you know, motel? Uh, do you think I would ever report to my friends that I'd just made a charitable contribution to these this pair of fellows? Randy? 
Uh, under your scenario, no. Right. So we have in, in Arizona a situation where Phoenix, uh, the state government in Phoenix, will say to a property owner, you owe us $500 in taxes. And if you don't pay it, we'll send out men, eventually we'll send out men in SWAT uniforms, and we'll shoot you. So there's a certain coercion that backs up their certified letter. Would you agree to that? For the property tax, yes. Yes, for the property tax, yes. They'll shoot you if you don't pay it in the final analysis, okay? And then Arizona a few years ago changed the deal and said, hey, look, we've got some friends, a little 501c3 scholarship, and uh, they're doing some wonderful good work. So you give us $500 or you give them $500, and we'll shoot you if you don't uh, give one or the other, but uh, you may call it a charitable contribution and feel good about yourself uh, because it's charity if you want to. But that's a lie. That's a deceit. This is no more charitable than, than anybody forking over money to a robber's son. And my point on the euphemism question, I will now further expose it, it is the deceit question. Scholarship and other forms of tax credits are a new level of evilness beyond vouchers. Vouchers are honest. We're going to take the money from the haves and give it to the have-nots, and let's all vote on it. Tax credits, on the other hand, will not admit they're taking money from the haves and giving it to the have-nots. They cover it with euphemism. They slather it with deceits. Whether it's Colorado and Prop 17, whether it's, whether it's uh, all of them, they slather it with deceits of voluntary contributions. You didn't use that phrase, but they usually do. Uh, charitable, you've used. I uh, don't believe it's charity in the slightest or when you're under such coercion. And I, and I say this, tax credits are more evil than vouchers because in order to sell them to the people, one cannot tell the truth as to what they really are. One cannot expose the coercion at the heart, at the moment of signing the check. It's written for $500. And I get to choose, as a taxpayer, between Arizona School, Tech, School Scholarship uh, Foundation or State of Arizona. I get to make that choice. Oh, lucky me. How do you want to proceed? You want, you want a rebuttal? You I, would wanna... think, I would think you, to take a minute or two, I should shut up and they should ask questions. Okay. I'll just take take about 60 seconds, maybe 90 seconds. Um, I, I, too, I, I, too, Marshall, agree with uh, the euphemism statement and the need to be honest. Uh, and that's, that's the reason I'm even here, is to clear up the, um, the dishonest uh, linking of tax credits and tax vouchers. Um, I would just respond specifically to the nature of the gift and the coercion aspect. We give gifts to nonprofit organizations 
because what the nonprofit organization does, we give gifts. Nonprofit organizations come into existence to serve a cause, to serve a people, in all shapes and forms. The Alliance for the Separation of School and State is, is one example. It's a nonprofit organization. Last evening you made a, an appeal to the people here to give a gift to the organization. People give a gift because they believe in the cause. When they give a gift, there's something that they do. There's something your organization does. You, you issue a tax receipt. And there's something that those people do who gave a gift. They list that gift on their tax filing to receive a tax deduction, lowering their income for the year, the income level which they pay taxes on. The gift that they gave, I'm assuming, is charitable. Of course, nobody can really know each other's motives for giving a gift, but I'm assuming it's charitable, even in the definition of charity that you gave. In the tax credit, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, neighbors, church members, colleagues, give gifts to organizations who are granting scholarships to Catholic schools, Lutheran schools, Montessori schools, classical Christian schools, all sorts of schools that, that the children within their community attend. They're giving gifts to a nonprofit 501c3 organization because of the potential of someone that they know receiving a grant or scholarship from that organization. They receive a tax deductible receipt from that organization. They too file and claim a deduction. Now, in the state of Arizona, the state of Arizona, in their tax code, smile upon that. Now, we don't do it because the state of Arizona simply says we can. It's charitable, and the state of Arizona allows a tax credit. And I liken it to the example of homeschooling. I do not homeschool my children because the state says it's legal. I homeschool my children because before God I'm called to bring my children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. The state happens to agree with God. That makes my life a lot easier. That's all I can say on that. It's charitable to question the charity nature of a grandparent giving a $500 or a $625 gift to an organization that their grandchild has the potential of receiving a scholarship for to attend a, a school of their choice cannot be called evil. And I would just end with that. Okay. Okay, can this be a combination statement question? Okay. I ran children's scholarship fund program for a year and in the process investigated tax credits at, you know, in depth and this has been a few years back but I spent time investigating Arizona's. My understanding is you have minimal controls or strings over organizations or recipient schools. 
right? No? Uh, Kathy Duffy from California. Yes, I'm okay. Um, okay, well, okay, uh, yeah, you can, you can take with it. Um, I don't know what's happened in the last couple of years. Last I heard, legislation was proposed to try to put more regulation on because of fraud, and it did not pass. Running the scholarship program, I encountered every kind of fraud you can imagine. I, and people will come up with all kinds of things. Create an organization to funnel money where you want it. Do, and I've heard things about the Arizona program. I don't have documentation with me. About the kinds of things people were doing that were fraudulent, but that could not be dealt with because of the resistance to strings by proponents of the program. So... Um, I look at it, government has a responsibility to oversee where money goes. And if you set up a program that does not allow for prevention of fraud, then you've got a problem. Then on the other hand, if you have schools or organizations with more controls, particularly the schools, then you've got the reverse problem. So I'd like you to address the dealing, you know, dealing with fraud, what the situation is, um, how do you retain educational freedom for the schools, and keep the program. Not back to us. Someone else. Who's our timer on this one? Uh, it'll be less, less than 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, my name's Ross Grun. Uh, I'm coming. My name is Ross Grin. I'm I'm here from the office of Congressman Trent Franks. Um, this, you had mentioned the corrosive effects of welfare on on its recipients, and and alluded to that as tax credits providing a, a form of welfare, and basically putting families on the dole, so to speak. But uh, as Randy alluded to, most tax credit tax credit scholarships are for significantly less than the full cost of tuition. So essentially you're taking families who are being fully subsidized by by public schools and moving them to a a situation of partial subsidization where they have their family has to make a sacrifice in order to send their child to school. Would would you acknowledge that that, that would be a net positive in favor of the tax credit? Answer the, let's answer these two and then see if there's time for a third, and plus we should each have a wrap-up statement. So I don't think there's any more questions. These are the two we'll be addressing. This is to, uh, to Kathy Duffy's question um, concerning controls and concerning fraud. Uh, first of all, I, I want to uh, clarify, you're not suggesting that without government control there's inevitable fraud, are you? program where the government is essentially allowing money or, you know, there's money at stake, yes, there will be fraud without controls. I think most of us at this table, or again, my name is Ross Grun from Congressman Trent Frank's office, I, th I think most of, this, at, at, most of the people at this table would, could probably be identified as free marketeers to some extent, I, at least I don't, that, I'm just going to... 
Yeah, we'll, we'll assume that for the sake of the question. I, th- I think the, the safeguards inherent in the Arizona Scholarship Tax Credit program are that they, the field is open to any organization or almost any individual to start an organization and, and, and grant scholarships. So the protection against fraud lies with the contributors in that if, if, if a, a chair, if a STO or a scholar, school tuition organization is revealed to be fraudulent, then people will take their charitable business, so to speak, to, an, to another organization. That's, and that's the best safeguard. And personally, I think that's, that's a better safeguard than any stack of regulations that can come out of the state house. Not so. when there's collusion between the donor, the STO, and the school. Thank you, Kathy, for an excellent question. Uh, Randy ceded his time to Ross uh, for the answering. Now I'm going to try to address Ross's uh, question on um, uh, the corrosive effect of, of uh, other people's money or welfare. And uh, I'll re- re- recap it just to make sure that I got it right, Ross. Uh, you're suggesting and asking me if I would agree that moving a child from a full subsidy in uh, school by government uh, to a partial subsidy is a net gain. Um, I would have to give a uh, uh, concede that up to a point. Okay, um, if my uh, cancer had been half removed, I might think that there was a net gain and that the tumor mass has been reduced by 50%. And this might extend my life by several hours or weeks. On the other hand, and it brings up the time question, if we got it all out, well then maybe we've extended my life uh, for several several years until I bump into a Mack truck. Um, I want to come back then to the other uh, point that I wanted to make, the other category was time. And uh, uh, that was the, uh, the horse in the barn uh, idea. And we need to consider time and what effect that the fire uh, of government funding, um, even if indirect, uh, by allowing people to write their checks to some, uh, some approved agency. Uh, by the way, just a yes or no. Uh, are um, are the tax are the scholarships uh, usable at all schools? So, if a person has a Ku Klux Klan uh, school, uh, there would be no uh, way at the current time, uh, and they were teaching uh, hate. There would be no way under the current law uh, to prevent a to prevent the Ku Klux Klan from setting up a scholarship fund and getting uh, its people uh, to go to contribute, and uh, uh, there would be no uh, uh, no way that the state could prevent that under the current legislation. Is that correct? I guess in a free market, you have societal issues like that. Um, so yes, to, I, I agree with your point. Well, my, my my question wasn't a point; it was a question. Are there any mechanisms right now 
uh, in the current Arizona legislation to uh, prevent the Ku Klux Klan from using this tax credit uh, for its members to enlarge the coffers of the Ku Klux Klan hate school. Are there, is there anything on the books right now where uh, they could immediately be taken to court and a judge would, you know, uh, suspend it? Is there anything on the books now? If, if, a, if a self-identified Ku Klux Klan organization um, was not committing other crimes uh, under the current laws, I, 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 I suppose. But again, I, I believe this is a straw man because this is, this is a, certainly moving away. You talk about euphemisms, Marshall. Um, this uh, is the most uh, you know, definitive euphemism of all. <laughs> it might be a hyperbole. I don't think it's a euphemism. <laughs> <coughs> okay. Pardon? A little louder? So I want to go to the time question. And it's only a matter of time before the Ku Klux Klan uh, moves from uh, leaders from uh, other places around the country to uh, some hills in Arizona, sets up a Ku Klux Klan school and uh, enjoys the tax credit. And, uh, and all it takes is one uh, reporter uh, who's unhappy with this to discover this to blast it all over the front page of the Phoenix newspapers. It only takes about probably four hours for the um, staunch defenders of, of, uh, of love and decency uh, known as your legislator, to pass an amendment or adjustment to that law, uh, making sure that it cannot go to, that schools must be, uh, to hate uh, teaching schools, and they will buffalo in and it will be unanimously passed, and, uh, and you won't call it hyperbole uh, or anything else, you'll call it a necessary concession to keep the program alive. And, well, that's just my prediction. We'll see. And that's my point, is that it's not happening right now, therefore it's not going to happen, is the kind of thinking. I don't, they're claiming it's not happening right now, and I'm even, stip, and I'm even stipulating, I'll stipulate that, and simply say it is going to happen. There's just no, uh, uh, particular uh, doubt about it. Uh, Ross, back to Ross's question, and I'll finish on this. Ross's question was, um, isn't there a corrosive effect, uh, or is, is it not, let me rephrase it a little bit, is it not a little bit duplicitous or hypocritical of, hypocritical of me to ask for contributions? knowing full well some of the people may avail themselves of the 501c3 appellation that I have received. <laughs> that wasn't his question, but it was a good one. Uh, your question was, isn't moving a child from a full subsidy to a partial subsidy a net gain? Yes, and now I'll apply, go back and apply time to it. And to the degree this thing is popular in Arizona, 
grandma and grandpa are going to be saying we should be able to give a thousand dollars, not just five hundred. And those scholarships should not be limited to fifteen hundred, but to two thousand. And the uh, the union will try to trip you up by saying the uh, you know um, private schools cost up to twenty five thousand dollars a year, or a good, the best cost twenty five thousand dollars. This is a paltry thing at uh, at fifteen hundred or three thousand or whatever the max happens to be. Um, and uh, the middle class needs breaks too, uh, not just the poor. And pretty soon you will have a full-fledged tax credit system for virtually anybody that will be treated as an entitlement that just one can see from reading history and seeing a hundred other programs right now how tax deductibility of, of uh, certain limited medical and hospital expenses in 1943 uh, snuck in as a way to uh, avoid wage controls, snuck in, 1943 I believe it was, now, a mere, what, 61 years later, has Americans believing, many of them, that we need to move to a Canadian or English um, single-payer or 50-payer, big deal, um, the, the government owes me health care. We've got the, the conservative president of the United States, uh, you know, forcing through, pushing legislation uh, with his Democratic buddies to take away a, uh, uh, a campaign issue away from John Kerry of uh, free pills for the old folks and uh, keep the old folks vote Republican and that sort of a thing. And this attitude of dependency, I'd be glad to rob my grandchildren of their wages so that I can have my pills and live longer and plus keep my Winnebago and be a sunshine, uh, what do you call them, snowbird, uh, down to Scottsdale. Damn right, I think that my grandchildren ought to be burdened with paying for my uh, uh, whatever. And that attitude of entitlement and the destruction of the family is exactly what your tax credit, your equivalent of 1993, 1943 right now, with a little teeny program that you're not seeing is going to catch on like wildfire and destroy America. Destroy America. So I'll rest my case on that. Oh, and I'll rest my case on that. Well, I just I just need to. Uh, I'm going back to being the MC and tell oh, you there's no time. Okay, all right. So I got I, I'll, I'll I'll speed it up here as you walk over and, and do your non MC stuff. Um, I just think that um, that that Marsha, you you're, you keep propping up a what really amounts to a logical fallacy to say that we ought not to do uh, X because Y might take place um, should should never be the constraints which we live under. And uh, otherwise, why do anything? Why do any? Why make any effort? Uh, why live because the KKK might ruin our program uh, is never a, a sensible, nor a um, logical, nor a good um, and sensible uh, direction that we ought to take. The fact of the matter is, as I mentioned before, the state happens to be favorable toward charitable gifts. Children happen to be leaving public schools in Arizona. We don't have the questions in Arizona that other states are asking. Uh, when Southern Baptist Convention puts forth resolutions, if they had a resolution in Arizona, there's no question, well, I can't afford a private school. It just doesn't exist um, because of the freedom of education that exists in Arizona. Um, 
this debate needs to continue on. Uh, there's no doubt. Questions are good. Um, and I think that this is a, a step toward uh, honest education. Thank you very much for listening to this presentation. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you would like more information about Honest Education or the Alliance for the Separation of School and State, please write or call. Our telephone number is area code 559-4991776. Our fax is 559-499-1703. Our website is sepschool.org, and our mailing address is 1071 North Fulton in Fresno, California, 93728. Again, thank you for listening.